I want to begin with the um, a story here, but this is our third um, series, our third sermon on Jesus is all the world to me, and we're, we're going through the book of Colossians here. And it was one summer afternoon, this guy decided to climb a, a hill near his home, and when he reached the top, um, he stretched out on the grass to relax from a somewhat difficult climb. How many of you like to climb? How many of you like to do that? How many of you like to go on the trails and stuff and, and see the vis- go up to the vistas and see how beautiful it is? I love it too. It's some of the places that we've climbed to, and it's just beautiful. But as this guy lay there, he began to turn his head to one side, and he said, my eyes focused on some blades of grass that were within inches of my face. So I began to adjust my focus, and and then the the distant city, because everything was blurred to him, and so he said, I couldn't see anything from the end of my nose because this blade of grass, these blades of grass were right in front of my face. And so he said, so I began to adjust my focus, and then the distant city came into view instead. And what he said, it was this, he says, I found I could shift my sights from near to far at will. He could do it at will. The choice was mine, he said. So what is he trying to tell you and what is he trying to tell me from this story? What do you think he's trying to tell us? I think he's saying that the choice is ours as to what we decide to focus our minds, our hearts, and our lives on. It's up to you what you decide to focus your life on. You know, only the mind set on things above, I believe, can say no to sin and yes to holiness. And the only way to see life clearly is to have that focus of your life on Jesus. You know, the, the, the old song a long time ago when I was in college, Jesus is the answer. Remember that song, Jesus is the answer for the world today? You know, that, and so, My question is this morning to you is, where is your focus? Where is your focus? Um, Is Jesus all the world to you? Is he all the world to me? Those are two questions that only you can answer. And so for yourself. So for the last couple weeks, we've been making our way through the book of Colossians, which is uh, all about Jesus. You know, the question I asked you from the very beginning, is Jesus all the world to you? You know, in the first chapter, Paul spotlights Jesus with this poetic declaration of what I would call Christ's supremacy. He states definitively that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He he says that in, 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 in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, that, that all things were created by him and for him, and that he is the head of the church. And he is our only means of, of reconciling our relationship with God. Remember in the passage from John 14 where he says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, he said, except through me. So Jesus is the only means of reconciliation of our relationship with God. So in the second chapter, <clears throat> Paul then assures us that we can find fulfillment in Jesus. In other words, we can have everything when we have Jesus. And remember the question I said, or the statement I made? 
Is Jesus enough? Of course he is. Jesus is always going to be enough for every single one of us. Jesus is enough. And so as Paul moves into the third chapter, he begins to sketch out what this Jesus is all the world to me looks like in our life. He, he kind of sketches out what it looks like. You know, something to keep in mind, and, and especially through the, the book of Colossians and, and through several of the churches in the New Testament, you know, we, we have to keep in mind that the pagan religions of Paul's day said little or nothing about personal morality, and they said very little about lifestyle. In other words, the way they lived was that a worshiper could bow the knee before an idol, put their offering in the, on the altar or in the offering plate, and then go back to living life just however they saw fit to live it. And I've known some people that live that way. They'll come on Sunday mornings and they're in the spirit, and then during the week they're in the flesh. And they live that way. You know, and so what a person believed had no direct relationship with how he or she believed in, in, in anything else as far as religious go, religion goes. But see, the Christ-centered life brought a whole new concept to, the, to pagan society. Absolutely a whole new concept. What we believe all too dramatically impact how we behave, and what we focus our life on, period. You know, if we are committed to Jesus and connected to Jesus, then Jesus is going to influence how we live our lives. Does that make sense to you? It should. You know, it, it, how, we, how we live our lives. And so this morning, I want to look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, to see what Paul has to say to us. And you can follow up there. I'm going to read from my Bible this morning. It may say a little bit different things, but, you know, it should be close. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your minds or set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. He goes on to say, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self and its practices and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, God's, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, 
which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Here in this passage, I think that Paul is highlighting three areas of our personal lives that will be influenced, touched, and hopefully will be changed by Jesus. And so the first area of our lives that that Jesus will influence, touch, and hopefully change is our focus. It's, It's going to be our focus. Missionary pilot, his name was Bernie May. He writes this. He said, one of the most difficult lessons to teach new pilots about landing on short, hazardous airstrips is to keep their eyes on the good part of the runway rather than on the hazard. He goes, the natural tendency is to concentrate on the obstacles and the danger, the the thing that they're trying to avoid. But experience teaches us that a pilot who keeps his eyes on the hazard will sooner or later hit that hazard dead center. And that kind of makes me think of what Paul is trying to tell us here. Instead of concentrating on the sin that we want to avoid, we are told to focus on the positive actions that Christ desires for us. That's what we're supposed to focus on. You know, Paul starts off talking about our focus as followers of Christ. We just read it, and I think it's worth looking at it again. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. So your heart on things above, your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you have died and your your life is now hidden with Christ and God. And then notice what he says here. He says, when Christ, who is what? (laughs) Who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Is Christ your life? Is he your life? When Christ, who is your life? First, Paul says that because we've got this, this new life in Jesus, we ought to set our hearts on things above. Set our hearts on things above. And, and we know what it means to have our hearts set on something, don't we? We absolutely do. You know, it means to, it's, it means having a strong desire and expectation for something. That's what it means. You know, we get our hearts set on all kinds of things, don't we? We really do. You know, maybe you've got your heart set on that dream vacation that you've always wanted to go on. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. You know, maybe you've got your heart set on this new home that you've been looking at. Or maybe it's a a new car, a new bike, or a new job. So, So we know what it's like to have our hearts set on something. But then Paul throws out this, this, this similar but slightly different concept here. He says, let your mind be on things above. Let your heart be on things above. Let your mind be on things above. The word translated mind in the New Testament doesn't always refer to the brain. It doesn't always refer to the brain, you know, or your thoughts, even your thoughts. Rather, sometimes it refers to our will, the, the, the will that we have. And, and so it's, it's actually very similar to the phrase, set your mind to it. You know, we tell our children this all the time, don't we? 
We tell them, you know what? You can do anything if you just set your mind to it. Don't we? We say that oftentimes. We can do anything. In other words, we're talking about focused determination and hard work. The Christian life needs to be focused determination and it is hard work. You know why it's hard work? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's just the way it is. And so it's not a cakewalk. Being a Christian is not a cakewalk. It's difficult. It's hard work. So when we see these two concepts together, Paul is saying that you've got to have desire and you've got to have determination. You know, so where should our hearts and our minds be set? Where should they be set? He tells us there. It, it needs to be set, Paul. We need, it needs to be set on things above. You know, where, where Christ is. Set your minds on things above. Set your hearts on things above. That's where Jesus is. And where will we be when, when Christ comes again? Hopefully we'll be with him. We need to set our minds on things above. In other words, we're talking about heaven here. He's, he's talking about heaven here. Now, it's interesting that the, the communion meditation was on that, that Chet shared that about heaven today. Because that, that's what we're talking about here. Our affections and our aspirations should be set on heaven. It should. Not because of the place, but because of the people. Because of where Jesus is going to be. That's where Jesus is going to be. Don't you want to be where Jesus is going to be? You don't sound convincing. Don't you want to be where Jesus is going to be? Absolutely. We want to be there. But you know what? Far too many of us, myself included, are so focused on earthly things rather than things above that we hardly ever give heaven much thought sometimes. Are you excited about heaven? I hope so. Do you have a heart set on spending eternity with Jesus? Yes. That didn't, well, that wasn't quite as good as the last one, but are you determined to be there? Yes. Okay. It reminds me of the Sunday school teacher who had just finished a lesson on heaven and she asked her students, how many of you want to go to heaven? Of course, everyone in the class raised their hands except for this one little boy named William. William, the teacher said, don't you want to go to heaven someday? Well, he suddenly perked up and the boy replied, oh, yes, ma'am, someday. I just thought you were taking a load up right now. And I don't, I don't want to go right now. Someday, maybe, someday. You know, and I think, guys, I think that we're a lot like that little boy. We all want to go to heaven someday. Just someday. You know, we're, we're, we're just not in a hurry to get there. You know, we, we might feel different if we took a serious look at what the Bible says about heaven. You ever read Revelations chapter 21 and 22? It's something else. Paul describes the new heaven and the new earth as a a place of sensory delight and breathtaking beauty with rivers and and trees and cities and and buildings and gates and streets and, and mountains and houses. And of course, all the people that are going to be there But you know what the most wonderful thing about heaven is going to be? Is the main resident that's going to be there. That's Jesus. Jesus is the one. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, one day when the Lord comes, 
All the people who have believed will be amazed at Jesus. Look what it says there. All the people who have believed will be amazed at Jesus. They will be amazed. Amazed at Jesus. You know, not amazed at angels or or mansions or new bodies. You know we're going to get a new body? Some of you are saying, oh, thank you. Thank you, praise praise Jesus. We're all going to get new bodies. We're We're going to be considered new creations. That's what we are going to be. But Paul doesn't measure the joy of encountering the apostles or embracing our loved ones. If we will be amazed at those things, I'm, we, we're going to be. I'm, there's no question about it. We certainly will be. But he doesn't say that we're going to be, be amazed by those things. What he does say is that we will be amazed at Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Is Jesus all the world to you? So let's look back again at what Bernie May had to say. He's the one that trains missionary pilots. We just read about him. He sums it up by saying, the experienced pilots focus their attention solidly on the track that that they want the plane to follow, keeping the hazards in their peripheral vision only. And see, when Christ and his interests are the focus of our lives, the lure of the old life remains in the corner of our eyes while we aim to land squarely, right squarely in the center of God's will. That's where we need to be, right in the center of God's will. My question is this, what hazards are in your life that divert your attention from Jesus? What are they? What are those hazards? And then what positive God-honoring actions can you concentrate on to help you keep your focus on Jesus? What can you do to help keep your focus on Jesus? Those who fix their eyes on heaven will not be distracted by the things of this earth. You know, that's really tricky because there are some really great things on this earth that we can experience, but we need to keep our eyes on things above. So the first area of life that Jesus ought to influence or deeply impact is our focus. We need to stay focused. Absolutely. It's like those blinders on, or the th- things on the, on the horses. You see the, the Amish when they're going down? They, the horse has these things on there. It's to keep them focused. Sometimes I think we need those to keep us focused, to just keep us straight on there. See, if it's all about Jesus, if, if we're living a Christ-centered life, then, then let's set our hearts and our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You know, th- this leads us to the second area of our lives that, that need to be influenced, touched, and hopefully changed by Jesus. And that area is, it's our fight. Believe it or not, it's our fight. Notice what he says there. Paul writes this. He says in verses 5 through 11, he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. 
Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self and its practices and you have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Here he says there is no Greek or Jew. There is no circumcised or uncircumcised. There is no barbarian or Scythian. Slave or free. But Christ is all and he is in all. Wow. You know that that's a that's a pretty ugly list of sins that that need to be put to death. Do you catch that? They need to be put to death. You know, if if you look at this passage very closely, it's as if Paul is saying there's a monster that's lurking within each one of us. And the Bible calls it our sinful nature. It's beastly, it's it's ugly, it's defiant, it's angry, it's hateful, it's greedy, it's immoral. And it's within each one of us. Because of it, we hurt the people that we love sometimes. We do things that we know that we shouldn't be doing. And we wonder, why did I do that? Does anybody know who John Cooper is? I I knew you guys would. You're looking at at my, my, my... Transcript there, aren't you? Did you know it before that? Okay, yeah, you knew it. John Cooper knows all about what we're talking about here. See, John Cooper is the lead vocalist and he's the bassist for the Christian rock group Skillet. I love Skillet. They're, 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 they're a great band. I love them. On their album Awake, John wrote a song called Monster. He wrote a song called Monster to describe our battle with our sinful nature. And this song starts like this. He says, The secret side of me I never let you see. I keep it caged, but I can't control it. So so stay away from me. The beast is ugly. I feel the rage, and I can't hold it. I just can't hold it. It's scratching on the walls, in the closet, in the halls. It comes awake, and I can't control it hiding under the bed in my body, in my head. Why won't somebody come and save me from this? Make it end, he says. I feel it deep within. It's just beneath the skin. I must confess that I feel like a monster. I hate what I've become. The nightmare's just begun, I must confess. I feel like a monster. Can you relate to that? See, at one time or another... Hasn't each of us been perplexed or disgusted by our own actions? You know, we we swear that we'll never do it again, do that certain thing again, and then just a few weeks, or or maybe it's just a, a few hours later, we find ourselves doing exactly what we said we didn't want to do. Remember, Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 7. He says, why do I do the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I want to do? What a wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of sin? And of course, he goes on to say, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one that's going to save us. Again, you know, we're horrified by our own weaknesses and and resolve once more to be done with, with past behavior. But far too soon, we end up back right at it. And my sin may be a little bit different than yours. 
You know, that's why Paul gives us such a long list there. You know, but all sin is vile and evil and ungodly. So, so what do we do about it? What do we have to do about it? We have to kill it. We, we have to kill it, believe it or not. Put to death, he says, the, the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Notice what it says there in, in Colossians 3, 6 there. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. The anger of God is coming. Sin is like a dragon that needs to be slain. So how do we do it? How do we, how do you kill something within yourself that you can't even see or touch? How do you do it? Well, I think Paul elaborates on that in another passage here. Notice what he says in Romans chapter eight. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Hmm. Here Paul says, we don't have to keep doing what our sinful nature urges us to do. We don't have to do that. It's a matter of the will. If we do, we die. So really, in a sense, it's, it's kill or be killed. That's what, that's, what it's, that's what he's really saying there. But he says we can kill off our sinful nature through the power of the Spirit. So, so what does that mean and, and how do we do it? Do you remember that passage that Paul shares with us in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, called the armor of God? You know, it, it talks about all kinds of armor in that passage there. Remember that? But there is only one offensive weapon listed there. All the other of it is armor. It's, it's, the, it's the, the feet fitted for the readiness. It's the breastplate, you know. It, it's everything that, that, that we need. But there's only one offensive weapon. Notice what it says there in Ephesians 6. It says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So if I'm piecing this together properly, Paul is saying we can slay our sinful nature, the monster, by, by, by yielding or willing the, the, the Word of God in our lives, by believing it, banking on it, and trusting in its promises. Here's what happens. I want you to listen to this. I want you to hear this. Here's what happens. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make you more like the Son of God. That's what happens. Did you hear that? The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make you more like the Son of God. Isn't that what we want? Jesus himself teaches us how to wield the the, the weapon. Here's what he did. Preparing for his public ministry, Jesus spent 40 days alone in the wilderness, isolated and hungry, Jesus was at his most vulnerable at that, at that stage of his life. That's when Satan attacked him. That's when Satan came in and attacked him. And the Bible records three specific temptations that the, the devil dangled right in front of Jesus. Yet each time Jesus responded 
with the same words. Do you know what those words are? It is written. It is written. In verses 4, 7, and 10 of Matthew chapter 4, he uses those same three words, it is written. And then Jesus proceeded to quote the scripture to Satan and defeated him because of the scripture. You know, we, we glorify Jesus and follow his example when we do the same thing, when we wield the, 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 the word of God, no, no, matter what, no matter what sin you're struggling with, God's word will speak to that issue. His word will talk about that issue. So let, let God's word speak to you. Memorize some verses that relate to the, the struggles that you're having. Go and find those scriptures that will help you in that time. How many of you have ever memorized scripture? Let me see your hands. Okay, so you can do it. We can do it. So, so memorize those scriptures that will help you in your, in your life and in the struggles that you're facing. Then when your, your sinful nature starts, starts to rear its ugly head, cut it off immediately by speaking God's word over it aloud with your arsenal of scriptures that you know. So first of all, Jesus influences our focus and and he also influences our fight. But finally, the last thing, and you're not going to like this one. Jesus, some of you ladies anyway, I know you ladies because you ladies really like fashion, but Jesus influences our fashion. Notice that. Hopefully he influences, touches, and and he changes our fashion. You know, you can tell a lot about people from the clothes that they wear. You know, the clothes that we choose to wear often reflect our status, our values, you know, maybe even our priorities. In Hollywood, when they, when they come down the red carpet, remember that, how they come down the, the red carpet there? You know, the reporters are all, always out there asking actresses and actors, you know, who are you wearing today? Who are you wearing? To find out which designer created the clothes that they're wearing. Well, as Paul continues, he makes some recommendations about who and what we should be wearing. Here's what he says. He says in in verse 12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Put on love. It's like putting a piece of clothing on. Put on love. Clothe yourselves. Put on love. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Wow. In contrast to his earlier list of sins, Paul now gives us this beautiful list of godly actions and and attitudes. He talks about mercy and, and kindness and, and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness and love. He talks about all those things. And twice in the, in these four verses, Paul says to clothe yourselves, to clothe yourselves in them. What they all have in common is that they all are characteristics of Christ. That's what they are. You know, elsewhere, 
Paul says this in Romans 13, 14. He says, rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourself with him. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. By putting on these Christ-like characteristics, these Christ-like virtues and qualities, we actually become more like Jesus. Isn't that supposed to be our goal in life, just to become more like Jesus? And it's not just a surface change. It has to be something deeper that happens. So what I'm telling you today is put on Christ. Put him on. In 1975, John Malloy wrote this book called Dress for Success, which became the fashion guidebook for people trying to climb the corporate ladder. Malloy's advice centered around a basic premise. Always dress like your boss. Every day for work, for school, or recreation, we all have to decide what to wear. And even in the dressed-down 90s, or, or being in the, the Senate with, with, with the congressmen and women, you know, people strive for the right look. They, they want to strive for the right look. But let me tell you this. We must also make choices about another wardrobe. And that other wardrobe is this. It's, it's attitudes and actions. That is a wardrobe. If we claim to be followers of Christ, our spiritual apparel is of greater significance than any physical clothing that we could ever wear. Once again, take a look at God's dress code for us. He says, as chosen people, we are to to clothe ourselves with kindness and humility and meekness and compassion. We are to demonstrate patience and forgiveness. And above all, he says, above all, we must put on love which is the bond of perfect unity. So ask yourself the question, do I begin each day by acknowledging Christ as the person in charge, the one for whom I serve? Do I take time to clothe myself with with attitudes that, that please him? Do I clothe myself that way? Am I wearing what people are most longing to see? People are most longing to see compassion and kindness and humility and and gentleness and patience and forgiveness and love. If so, then you will be dressed for success in God's service. Oh, to be like him, tender and kind, gentle in spirit, lowly in mind, more like Jesus day after day, filled with his spirit now and always. You know, when our, when our days are characterized by trouble and anger and hurt or bad feelings, folks, it's time to get a new wardrobe. It's time to get a new wardrobe. I think Paul's message to us is if you want to dress for success, by God's standards of success, then you need to clothe yourself with Christ. You need to put on Christ. Is Jesus all the world to you? Jesus is all the world to me, my my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall.
When I am sad to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He is my friend. Jesus is all the world to me and true to him I'll be. Oh, how could I this friend deny when he's so true to me? Following him, I know I'm right. He watches over me day and night. Following him by day and night, he's my friend. Jesus is my friend. Wow. So here's what it comes down to. Everything that we've talked about this morning. If you're living the all about Jesus life, then you're going to have a different focus than the rest of the world has. It's just the way it is. Your heart and your mind will be set on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You're also going to have a fight on your hands. You're going to have a fight on your hands. Remember, we, we talked about that. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's just the way it goes. Through, through the power of God's spirit and faith in his word, we need to put our sinful nature to death, getting rid of that, that long list of sinful earthly things lurking inside of us. We need to get rid of that. And, and finally, we have to start making the right fashion choices. We need to start making the right fashion choices. You know, we want to dress like Jesus, you know, clothing ourselves in, in mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness and love. This is what it looks like to live a Christ-centered life. That's what it looks like. And so I want to encourage you, as the band comes forward right now, I want to encourage you to set your hearts and minds on Jesus. Slay the dragon of sin in your life and clothe yourself with Christ. If you need help in any of those areas, I'm here to help. The church is here to help. We can come along next to you, encourage you, pray for you. So if you need that encouragement this morning, I'm going to ask that you would stand with us as we close our time together.